So I use tennis as a vehicle for change. Equality is something that's really important to me. Women's rights, everything, anything based on civil rights, you know, basic civil rights, that everybody should be afforded the same opportunities in life. That's why I'm in tennis. Hello and welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. I'm your host, Philip Kim also known as the Director of Tennis for the City of Azusa in sunny Southern California. Hey everyone, it's your pal Val. I'm your co-host, also from sunny Southern California. Valerie, we have a very important person on our podcast this week, and I'm so excited that we get to introduce Sarah Stone to those who don't know her. I am also excited about today's interview. I'm also really excited. Uh, first of all, I just can't get enough of any Australian accent, so... Some people know her as a tennis coach. As you mentioned, she's an Australian native and she has that beautiful accent. Yes, and she was a former coach for my favorite Australian player ever. Who's that? Oh, Miss Sam Stoser. That's Grand me. Slam champion. Wow. She's also a former professional player herself. So she has a ton of experience at the very top of women's tennis. Currently, she's the coach of American Fed Cup player Alexa Glatch. I got to meet Alexa during the interview. She was tagging along with Sarah. That is really cool. Very cool. And I felt very short because both Sarah and Alexa are taller than me. <laughs> they must have booming serves. Can you imagine? Nice. Yes. I imagine in the tennis world, many females tower over both of us. Well, as you mentioned, Sarah was the coach of Sam Stoser and also partner. Sam, of course, is the three-time Grand Slam champion. I don't have to tell you that. Yes. And more importantly... Is it more important? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, Let's find out. We'll put out a poll. Yeah. <laughs> Equally as important, Sarah Stone is the founder and CEO of Women's Tennis Coaching Association, and she's the chairperson of the Women's Tennis Board at the Professional Tennis Registry. I'm going to vote for the poll, and I'm going to say more importantly, yes. Why do you think it's important? I think what she's doing for the future of tennis with with her nonprofit of the Women's Tennis Coaching Association is going to prove more impactful to the future of women in tennis than what her awesome resume of actually coaching. Yeah. In the interview, I actually likened her a bit to Billie Jean King and Rosie Casals and those incredible women that started the WTA because they caused a revolution in tennis. They created a space for women to be able to have equal pay, equal rights, have their own tennis tournaments. And uh, I feel like Sarah is doing that in coaching. Yes, and um, not to give anything away, but uh, there's some alarming numbers, you know, uh, very, very fascinating numbers on statistics of women viewers of tennis, as well as just the percentage of women coaches out there that are getting hired. So let's give a listen to Sarah as she shares some of her ideas. This interview was recorded at the home office of Tennis Pal in West Los Angeles, and we had the great company of Halle from Tennis Pal setting this up. So thank you, Halle, for doing that. I'm talking with Sarah Stone. She is the CEO of Women's Tennis Coaching Association, and I'm so proud to sit with you and talk about what you're doing with the WTCA. It seems like a revolution. How did the vision come to you? How did it start, I'm sure, out of necessity? I guess everything like that starts out of necessity. I think it was an accident. I was just chatting to a friend and we saw that there was a real lack of representation of female players, in, particularly in social media. And when we were chatting here before we got started, we were talking about Raju, we were talking about Rafa, and that's all I used to see. I'm not really an avid social media user. I do use it to keep in touch. Now I use it all the time because I, I noticed that there was just nothing out there about women's tennis. All the drills were done by guys. All of the coaching analysis, the video analysis was on the stroke development of male players. So when you see Billie Jean King saying, if you can see it, you can be it. Well, if girls can't see it, how are they going to be it? And the, the dropout rate is pretty alarming. From It starts at 10 years old and by the time they're 17... Some statistics show that up to 75% of girls have dropped out of tennis. Mm. And that is a knock-on effect to everybody. It's, you know, clubs, it's the racket manufacturers, it's coaches doing lessons. So it's in everybody in tennis' best interest to keep more girls in tennis. 
And so we went back and we started a platform on Facebook and we thought, well, we'll start here, we'll get some video content out, show girls doing these videos. And then that just kind of developed from there and we started filed as a non-profit. reason I wanted to file as a non-profit, and a lot of people in Australia said, why didn't you do for-profit? I said, because this is a community. My idea is this is everybody, this is not mine. Everyone who's involved in the WTCA, and they should call it theirs. So we filed as a non-profit and then we grew from there, had our first conference in New York and between myself and Anne Grossman Wonderlich, we had all of our friends come out and support us and we're lucky we had a few friends that had done a few great things in tennis, win, win a lot of grand slams and people want to be part of that and we brought that to them and usually it's almost an elitist group tennis but one of the things why people love WTCA conferences is because they really feel part of it and they feel like everyone's on the same level. Well, I really believe that change in culture is through leadership. And uh, although I do see a lot of women on Instagram playing tennis as students, you don't see coaches. You don't see leaders. Um, So I'm excited that you're changing that perception and even just bringing to the awareness the fact that there are a lack of them. As a leader, what's broken with coaching right now that the WTCA is going to fix? On the women's side, which is obviously our focus, what was broken is there was no education on how to work well with females. You, you go through a course, the facilitators using examples of male players, they're talking about the way male players are on court, they talk about the way male bodies are and, and the way that they produce strokes or whatever. I mean, there's physiological differences between men and women and there are some slight differences in the way that you would approach a female. I mean, you're not going to tell a female, just get over it. If she rolls in and said she broke up with her significant other and she's crying, you can't just say, suck it up, get on the court, let's go. It just doesn't work for girls. Sure. And there are some guys, of course, that that doesn't work for either. But the way that we've environmentally we've grown up, maybe for guys they just think, oh, i got to be a man, i got to suck it up. And that might be why they don't show their emotional side. But there's definitely distinct differences between you know biomechanically and these things. So that education in itself... And just creating entire conferences about working with females and realizing that this is the way of the future to understand female players better, everyone's going to win. So that's where we see that we've been a lot different. Tennis Canada has really been on board with putting in curriculum about that. Tennis Australia, I know USCA is looking, they're creating mentorships and things like that. They don't govern coach education at the moment because of the USPTA and PTR. But we have great relationships with both of those organizations, and we think that that's the future, along with technology in tennis. Sure. For instance, I'm a coach. Uh, how would I benefit from being a part of your organization? What, what do we have to offer to all of our listeners who are coaching or are out in the field connecting to your organization? I think it's community because... When the speakers come in, they're very interactive with the attendees. Other conferences, you'll see they'll come in, they'll leave. They're out the door, you know. Maybe because they're our friends and they support our mission, they stick around and it that creates a lot of opportunities for coaches to go into different directions and get to know maybe key people in the industry a little bit more on a personal level. I think that everyone always wants that. And if you become a member of the WTCA, a lot of our stuff is online. We have an online certification for how to work well with female players. You take the whole thing online, then there's a test at the end, and we certify you as basically baseline level. You're ready to go. You know all the ins and outs, basically, on how to get started with working with female players. All of our recordings from conferences are in our virtual conference online. It's exclusive content only to the website. So there's great people, Boletary, Davenport, Craig O'Shaughnessy, Chanda Rubin, Justine Hannon, Maggie Maleva, I mean, goes on and on, Mary Pierce, Gigi Fernandez, Mark Kovacs. We have all of that content that they're delivering, and that's not out there anywhere else. I mean, you see a few shaky Facebook Lives that you can catch up with. This is, <laughs> this is good audio. It's going to get better. <laughs> this is exclusively there. Our, our videos are, were done all professionally, so that video there that's only available through our channel it's a great resource. You can share that with your players, but you won't find it anywhere else. And we also have a, a conference that if you're a member of the WTCA, you can come to a free conference in Naples, which is on the 14th of December. Probably have to stick one in California now that I've moved here. Come on, here. let's a, do a it. A free event. We'll do it over <laughs> your way. But I believe that there has to be value in being part of an organization. And of course it is based on community. That's great. But if you've got a free conference, no one else is putting out a free conference. Right. You know, we've got the 
best speakers. You can recap anytime you want, share it with your place, share it with your parents. And we think it's a $99, it's a pretty good investment. But it's not just an investment into your coaching, it's an investment into the community into the community. Nonprofits don't run themselves, you know. You need everyone to be part of it. So we're at about fifty thousand in our social media. So that's a good sized community, but you know, we really want everyone to be part of it. Sure. I work with Rosie Casals. I'm our, actually her web manager. She's amazing. She is amazing. And obviously Billie Jean King's partner. I saw recently Billie Jean King retweeted you on Twitter and talked about uh, how... She did? Yes. How... I miss that. <laughs> I'm not the big Twitter person, but I'm going to check it as soon as we're done. You do need to. And just saying how proud she was about that. And I got to think that there are parallels here because of what they did in starting <laughs> Uh, the Women's Tennis Association, and just going against the grain of of society at that time and people believing that they couldn't do it and not even seeing the need of that. How similar you are in just trying to create cultural change and a, a cultural shift for women. Yeah, well, even being mentioned in the same sentence as Billie Jean King and Rosie Casals and what they did is, is a, a great honor. I think that they did so much for women. It's not just about tennis. I know their passion is tennis. Billy obviously loves tennis, and we, we saw a video at the event we did Women's Sports Foundation the other day, myself and Anne, of all of the tennis players thanking Billie Jean for what she did. But I think women all across the world are thanking her, and Rosie's a massive part of that. You know, they were partners. We had Judy Dalton, you know, the other girls that started the WTA. I mean, they stood up for what they believed in, and they were willing to suffer. It, it, there was no guarantee that that was going to work, and she's yeah someone that we really look up to, and and we're everyone's super proud of all the things that she continues to do. I can't believe her energy; she's she's really a remarkable woman, and even that you know they're still working with the young player Taylor, who's going to UCLA next year. So yeah. she's involved in so so many levels, and I just love what they do, and I hope that we can just do 5% of what they've been able to achieve yeah, you know, she, together. And Alana, of course, Billie Jean's partner, I mean, such a great support and, and just such a huge part of what's happened for women in tennis. So, you know, I think doing the coaching side of it is something different. They, they focused on setting up the WTA and all these opportunities for women. And obviously the Women's Sports Foundation focuses on helping coaches and helping female athletes. But through tennis, this wasn't in tennis before, a focus on how do you coach females well and obviously that's right up their alley because they want women to be successful sure and you're a great player uh you've come up through that system the old system can you speak to what your experience was like how it felt and how that formed some of your decisions to start the wtca yeah well because it's pretty important actually it is so i recently did a book with one of our board members tim baton and he asked me to write a chapter on junior tennis it's called the complete player and I shared my experiences and as I was going through writing this chapter I thought about all the reasons why I probably did start the WTCA subconsciously I didn't even realize but I had some experiences with some coaches that were pretty rough one of the things that I wrote in there was I was talking too much at one of my groups one day and I was chatting to a friend because I love to chat and I'm chatting to you. <laughs> and instead of the guy getting me as a person, he deliberately fed the ball back so my my friend who was doing the drill smacked me in the face with her racket. Wow. I saw her in New York. We actually had a laugh about it. And, and he says to me, well, that'll teach you as I've got a racket smashed in my face. Another time, I do ask a lot of questions. I think that's why I learn a lot in life. And I was playing ultimate frisbee for fitness and I caught the frisbee about, I don't know, 30 feet, 40 feet clear of the, the trainer at the time in the end zone. And he was probably 220 or 230, and he just ran straight through me. I caught it clear by a couple of seconds, and he flattened me on the ground, winded me, I couldn't breathe. Same thing, you know, that'll teach you. Well, what is it going to teach me? It's not teaching me anything. What it taught me was to not want to play tennis anymore. Didn't enjoy the sport at all. So I stopped at 19. I also stopped at 15. I think I also stopped at 17. <laughs> Somehow or another, I, I got back into playing because of a couple of friends. I played you know, a year and a half playing doubles with Sam Stozo. I mean, that was awesome. We had a good time. We won quite a few tournaments together. We played the Australian Open together. And I think that was a great experience, but I didn't really love tennis. And I'm really glad that I did it. But for the reasons that I didn't enjoy tennis as a sport, it's the same reason all of these girls drop out. 
I think it comes back to coaching. So if you have a great experience with the coach and it's a respectful professional relationship, you'll keep girls in the game. I think women's tennis is lost in the art. It's not lost in the science. There is that aspect where there's coaches who want to know about biomechanics and all of these factors based around science, but it's a personal relationship. Girls build relationships and they, they want to get to know their coach, obviously, with professional boundaries, but they want to enjoy being there. It's different than guys. Guys just want to get out and play sets and go head to head, but it's completely different. And you're right, that's a big basis on why I thought I should start it. Sure. One of the things we were discussing earlier before we got on the air was that, you know, it's really individual as to why people play tennis. And there's so many coaches and their whole dream is that they want to coach the next champion. They want to coach the next Serena Williams, Roger Federer, Simona Halep, you know, and not everybody is going to do that. But if they don't see that the, the player that they're working with wants to get better or they want to be competitive, they're not interested in working with them. For myself, as long as you know the intention's clear, what do they want to get out of the lesson? Are they respectful? Do they listen? You know these sorts of things. If they just want to get out there and hit some balls, and they don't really want to change their serve, but they want to get it better, that's okay for me. I'm not going to drive them away because they don't want to be the next world number one. We have a lot of coaches are so heavily focused on the elite level; they want to work with top players. It's more interesting. Right. But if they spent more time getting to know the person for who they are and what they want to get out of tennis. I think that they would have a better experience with the player and then they would see more opportunities to enhance people's lives, not just make them a top tennis player. It, tennis is so much more about the person and their life and their experience and what they get out of it, self-confidence. It's not just about winning matches. And if coaches could see their job from a different perspective, I think that they would keep more players in the sport. I think there's an interesting parallel with women's tennis and uh, the cultural shift in our world today. Mm -hmm. uh, there is so much happening that is empowering for women, which is very exciting. And in a lot of ways, old coaches are stuck to old techniques mm -hmm. in their mechanics, in their way of teaching, but also maybe in their cultural relevance. Do you feel like the WTCA could also help some of that? It's certainly an old school club, I would say, tennis coaching. So... I think initially we met some resistance because when I decided, well, what are we going to call this platform that we started, WTCA, the Women's Tennis Coaching Association, you're going to get some pushback from male coaches because it's the first word is women's, but that's what they're doing. It's women's tennis coaching that they're doing. So if they, they can't really be on board with that, what are they doing coaching female players? And we're, I'm like a, sometimes a social media police because if you're out there on social media, blasting out your thoughts that women's tennis sucks, girls can't serve, they're slow, they they shouldn't get it. You know, equal prize money is a totally different debate. I mean, with the with the five sets versus three sets, whatever it is, if you're not an advocate for women's tennis, why are you coaching women? Like you should, you probably should go and do something else. And so, I think no one's really made them aware of their language, and I think a lot of it is awareness. So when they come to these events, when they're around like-minded people in the community. They pay to come there because they want to be better. And so it's just like a carry-on effect and that their friends are there, they have a great time, so they want to be part of it. So they take a look at what them do, they're doing themselves and a little moment of introspection and, and see, you know, how can they better themselves as a coach and then it kind of follows on from there. So I think it's really important to say that the Women's Tennis Coaching Association is not just for women. Absolutely not. It's it's based to keep women in the game because it's great for life. It's great for sports people a lot go on to be leaders. You don't have to be a professional athlete to become a leader, but a lot of girls play sports in high school. There are the studies that are out there. Of course, 94% of women in the C-suite played sport in high school. It doesn't mean you had to have done it, but it teaches you these skill sets that help you with your career. So it's not just for women, but it's everybody has to recognize that we're trying to help women stay in tennis. It's male and female coaches. They need the knowledge. How do you work well with female players? So it's just as much for men. We're not going to get more women into coaching unless we have the right guys that are supporting women. They're advocates for women. So when you come into our events, it's 50-50. All those guys are all like champions for women. And I know in World Team Tennis, Craig Carden, guy's a great coach. He's 
you know, worked a lot with Billie Jean with the, with the projects and stuff, and he's a supporter of women's tennis. He could work on either side. He could work on men's or women's, and, you know, he's worked in women's tennis a lot and backwards and forwards. We need advocates. The men standing up for the women is very important for change and for equality. Sure, and obviously standing up for women in tennis is standing up for tennis because we're all trying to grow the game, Yeah, and it's only going to help. I would love to just get a, a few um, generalizations out of you about uh, what you would do to coach someone like me as a coach, saying, here's, uh, obviously coaching is very individual and it's individual to the person that you're coaching. But in general, you're starting with a brand new student, let's say they're uh, 12 years old, mm-hmm. and you have a male versus a female. How do you perceive that? Taking out the individuality of, of the person, how would you perceive the differences? And what are some of the things that you would think about as you start that relationship? I would think about trying to get to know the player as a person and ask them a lot of questions and try to figure out how they learn best. The way that you learn doesn't necessarily mean that the person you're coaching is going to learn that way. It might be like speaking Russian to someone who can only speak Spanish. It's just a complete waste of time. And then there's that frustration. So I think it begins from right when you meet them, the first impression, getting to understand them as a person. And then you can think about their strokes. I mean, as coaches, we all go out and we're trying to fix things. And so we can fall into a trap of just going, well, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And then, you know, the player's not going to have a lot of confidence. So I think try to recognize what they do well and communicate with that, that with them and build up their confidence. And it's not so much to do with a male or female player per se, but it's just to get to know them as a person. I think that's the most important thing. Sure. I mean, I'm a father. I have uh, both a son and a daughter. And if when I think about them at 12, they were completely different people in the way that they interacted, mm-hmm. not only with me as a parent, but also with their friends and community, uh, how they interacted in school. I would chalk some of that up to the fact that they were male and female. Obviously, they're individual people. It really makes me question and bring to light the idea that I have to understand that person and what they're going through. Women at 12 go through different processes Mm -hmm. in their body, uh, in their mind, the way that they uh, interpret information, possibly uh, the way that they are coached, uh, need to be encouraged uh, versus a male at that. And so do do you feel like there are generalizations like that that would help people? Yeah, it's a, (laughs) that's a tough one because people don't like anyone to generalize. You have to be politically correct. There's so many (laughs) rules in society now that it's, it's hard to operate, but I would say that due to social pressure, girls are more sensitive to you saying, let's say she's not the best mover. And if your first statement you come out and say is, you know, you've got a great forehand, you're a little bit slow around the court, uh, you know, movement's an area you need to work on, but you've got a really nice slice backhand or whatever, but you have to be so careful of language. You have to be so careful of language on both sides, but particularly with girls because you just go through magazines. I do it all the time. I'll just flick through a magazine and I'll see how many photos the men have visible wrinkles and how many photos the women have them. They're, they're so heavily airbrushed the way that we're supposed to be. And this starts at such a young age. This is rammed down your throat, pink versus blue, you know, all of the things that that we have to do sometimes girls might feel like they don't have enough space maybe to be themselves girls are more perfectionists but I think it's completely to do with environmental and the way that we're brought up so with boys I think they want to play games a lot right away they want to compete and girls are much more inclined to work on techniques so they're different things that you're going to have to work on because boys you're going to have to get them to work technically or else they get to an age where their technique is flawed and they can't play but with girls, they get to an age perfect technique, but they can't compete. So they're the kind of things you've got to be aware of working with both. And it hasn't, it's not that it needs to be gender specific, but that side of coaching is, is just how to be with the person is something that's not educated enough in coach ed or taking certifications on how to be a coach. So the art form, the art is the most important part of coaching, from my opinion. It doesn't matter if you know what pronation is or you know this angle or that angle. If you can't connect with the person, they don't want to show up. They don't want to be there with you. Right. So then you're just giving instruction. You're not coaching. Yeah, they can read it from a book. Or a YouTube video. <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff on YouTube, and that stuff is super relevant. But 
What I always say is that my dad is a great coach. Terry. Sure. Yeah, Terry. The old boy, he was the coach of Barbara Potter, who was number seven in the world. And wow. when she would come out to Australia, he, he wasn't her full-time coach, but he would do a couple months a year with her. And I remember growing up and tearing around the Australian Open. But he's great with people and he makes them feel important and he has a lot of time for them. But I, all of the coaches who have grown up under my dad's guidance for their own lessons as players have become really good, solid coaches. And I think this is the number one thing coaches don't do is they don't seek out enough mentors. Women typically don't seek out mentors at all. They have to be asked. So I try to ask them and say, you know, if you ever need anything, do you need any help? And I'll have to ask them a lot of times over. So that's one thing with the women. But you need to get around coaches that are great coaches and then you learn the art. It's it's like traditional Chinese way of that it's carried up through the ages and it's taught by generation after generation. In tennis, you can't just study it from a book. You need to watch and you need to absorb that from great coaches. You just said something really interesting and I really want to learn this from you. You said that women have a harder time going to a mentor, asking for a mentor. Can you expound on that? I'm not sure I understand. That's, well, you see, this is what I'm told while I'm studying this WTCA vision that women don't seek out mentors. Uh, women don't put up their hand in a room so much. I was chatting to the guys in Australia about going to speak at their conference and I, and I know that a lot of women wouldn't put their hand up to say, I would love to speak at the conference because their thought process is, oh, they're not gonna want me. They probably think I'm useless. They're gonna pick someone else. So I don't even wanna do it. Everyone knows the same thing. Women have to meet 100% of the job criteria to apply for the job. Guys meet 60%. So if we're aware of this and we, and we keep inviting women, they can't get enough female speakers to all of these conferences. You have to personally invite them. It's just the way it is and over, eventually it'll change as, as we evolve, but that might be 25, 30 years away. We've got to deal with what we've got now and at the moment, you're going to have, have to ask women to get involved. Wow, that is so insightful. I think uh, I read on your website um, the issue of body image and how... And That's I see huge. It, body image is huge. And uh, this kind of relates in a way to what you're talking about as well. Just the differences in understanding how sensitive women are in specific areas. Again, I'm generalizing. But I think of my wife. My wife has such a hard time in confrontation in mm. asking for help, mm -hmm. um, and I, I would just imagine that she would fall exactly in that category of not asking for a mentor um, and just for being sure. a little bit shy. I don't think it's her personality. I think it is just something maybe that she learned from society. So how does that directly apply to like a 12-year-old that you're trying to coach? How do you get them to, one, feel great about their body image uh, and uh, feel confident, and then two, to start asking questions, be more inquisitive, uh, being less afraid of confrontation because coaching is confrontational in some ways. Yeah, it can be because it's always this underlying feeling of not being good enough. Right. You know, Improvement. Yeah, we projected that, you know, it's projected on us that we have to look a certain way to sort of fit in. You know, this you're not seeing these images of uh, plus size people too frequently and you put in this tiny box and then, you, then women become perfectionists and body image is such a massive thing. Just, you know, the other day I was trying on some pants. It's a personal story, but we can have it today. Let's do it. Yeah, I was trying on some pants and, and I knew a guy who lived in the area. And uh, I was there with Alexa, who I coach, and I said, what do you think about these pants? And I was looking in the mirror and he walks behind me and says, well, your bum looks big in those pants. I didn't even know he was in wow. the store. He walks behind me. Ouch. And I thought to myself... Don't like, don't like that comment. Probably, probably thought something else to myself. Then I thought to myself, you know what I honestly thought? I thought, why do you even need to say it? And sometimes men don't see that side because they don't live under the same scrutiny. They don't live under this, you know, you have to be perfect as a woman. You can't have wrinkles. You can't this. Guys can have gray hair. Girls, they look old when they have gray hair. Guys look sophisticated. You know, a woman is frantic but a man is just being confident when they're, you know, they're being loud, like these sorts of things. It's, this, it's a gender bias. And, and Tom Newkirk, who is a lawyer that came in, he's a civil rights attorney, came in and did a presentation at the US Open, at the US Open conference, at the WTCA New York conference, I should say. And they're just things that 
guys in general aren't aware of and these this bias is really affects women and the way that they can get jobs and the way that they think and all sorts of things like that. A woman is bossy, but a guy is confident, you know? So I think it's something that has to change in, in society and culture and the stuff that people like Billie Jean are doing. And I mean, Martina, she's amazing. Female leaders, Serena's really st- stepping up for women. And tennis has such a platform because it is the power sport. There's eight out of the 10 top earners in the world of professional athletes female tennis players so sports has become such a platform for social change so that is even more so why I thought it was important to get this education out there so as a, as a tennis community we can affect change in the whole world so yeah that is yeah. so great I, I love what we're saying I've got to imagine that it was hard as a coach uh, as a female coach trying to get positions you're, you said you're looking for a job here in Los Angeles yeah I'm looking I'm looking right and so what is that like as a female coach and your experiences in that way it's harder for sure it's harder about five percent of coaches uh, players in the top 200 women have a female coach there's all sorts of reasons why i ask female players why don't you want a female coach uh the uh, too many women too emotional no she can't hit with me i just don't respect females these are the things that are coming from females so when you turn that around female players you turn that around and you say well, what do you want to do? You, have you any interest in being a coach? And they'll say, yeah, I'd love to be a coach. And I say, well, how would you feel that you couldn't get a position based on the fact that you're a female? I say, well, yeah, that doesn't, that's ridiculous. And I would say, well, that's what you're saying. You're not hiring someone based on gender. So there's, there's a lot of things that perception out there that, you know, women can't hit or this or that, but Robert Landstorp doesn't hit. And he's done pretty well for himself. <laughs> One of the best. He's a guru. And, and he's out there resurrecting Ginny's career you know at that point in, in the last period of time and they're no longer working together I don't think or maybe a little bit but that was a non-issue but if it was a female it would be well how well does she hit women are judged to a much higher standard so it's difficult I actually was interested in applying for a job at a boys high school because I wanted to use I wanted to have some courts that I could play on out here I, I got a couple of interviews, but I didn't actually go through with them because I found out they didn't have lights. But oh. then there's the issue that women won't apply. They'll think they won't get the job. So they actually set a stat at this, uh, the Women's Sports Foundation advocacy uh, group that if one woman applies for the job out of all the candidates, she has a 0% chance of actually getting the position. Wow. So then you're even stacked further ahead, uh, further behind. You're the one woman that actually applies. And because there's not enough, you don't even get it. But you are the most qualified candidate. Women have to be more qualified. They have to have achieved. Even sometimes when I see speakers in conferences, some of these women are great. And they, they don't get a look in because, you know, they're judged to, did they play professionally? What was their ranking? But you've got some guy that played... D2 college, which is perfectly a great standard, but, you you know, the woman at a D2 college standard, people think they don't know what they're talking about. But a guy, he can get through. So I think it's just perception. I think it's more girls have to put themselves out there. But that's that same thing, that they don't apply. But that comes from strong leadership. It, it comes from us, the, the strong leaders like Billie Jean, you know, you can do it, you can be successful, and, and that's just going to multiply and hopefully eventually within soon we can change things well you are changing things i mean just the fact that we're talking about this and putting it out on the airways and allowing people to think through it allowing me to think through it Mm -hmm. i mean you brought up robert lansdorf i recently met him he is not an in-shape guy and uh when i think about (laughs) i mean he's older we'll give him that you know for sure but he's had his health problems exactly he's had health problems and so you know no shade on him but just when i think in my head of a woman in his shape at his age coaching at the level that he is coaching i think the perception would be very very different and wouldn't that, ha- it wouldn't happen it wouldn't happen maybe it's not happening and that's the that's the sad part of it i i have a wonderful female coach with me in my azusa program and she's not the fastest mover she would mm-hmm. be the first person but wow great hand eye coordination great hand skills she can do tons of tricks like through the legs and behind the back and she's so good and she's a phenomenal coach but I know that uh, it's harder for her because people just look at her in a different way. Yeah, and that's where we need. It's interesting with Tom Newkirk standing up there. He stands up there and says, 
I'm a 54-year-old white guy. I'm, I'm immune from gender bias. And he can stand up there and, and he'll know that there are positions that women will not get based on gender. And there's women will get fired based on gender. So you've got to call out this elephant in the room. This is, this is reality. And so what we have to do is we have to get the information out there. We have to have people willing to share and we have to have organizations willing to take the risk of talking about these issues or even mentioning periods in their, their conversation about how to train female athletes. If you've got males who have never had a period, didn't have sisters, are not married, how are they going to know how to deal with a girl that has a period, her body temperature elevates, you can't hammer them as hard, her joints are more lax, she's more susceptible to injuries, but they don't know it. So unless you put that in the curriculum, people don't know. So us talking about it, it's, it's a great thing and guys like you willing to step up and have the conversation is what's going to make change. Just as much as me advocating for women, we need, we need men to do it too. You had mentioned the possibility of coaching at a uh, high school mm-hmm. for maybe a, a boys team. Mm-hmm. And I've got to think that's got to be hard as well because you have all of these hyper boys that are looking at you. And I know your credentials. I know where you're coming from. Even the people who hire you know, mm-hmm. and that's why they hire you. But I just think of these high school boys who are just looking at you saying, oh, I could take her. Yeah, it's interesting. I did coach boys high school when I first came off the WTA tour as a coach the first round. I went back, but I didn't have an issue with it because, I don't know, maybe I'm not like everybody else. I I don't really care. I stand in my own shoes and I'm confident and I try not to buy into this you know, what do they think? Or maybe I'm not good enough. I, I don't have a sense of not being good enough. I don't know how it happened for me. I guess I had a lot of mentors all around the world, older people that I really looked to. And I was a, a student of life. So I put myself out there and it's probably more rare for girls. So it isn't a big deal. It's just the things that you invent beforehand, probably for more women that, that you know, they're not going to succeed. But you face different pressures. You, it, Tom was telling me that if the football team is losing and there's a male AD, then the football coach gets fired. If the football team's losing and there's a female AD, the female gets fired. Wow. So you're totally dealing with different things. And, you know, I don't know. I just guess it comes back to keep, keep having the conversation and, and slowly things will change. But I think we need to bring more people into tennis like Tom, who, who are experts in this area and civil rights. Tennis, sometimes we focus too much on how do you hit a forehand, how do you hit a backhand, what do you do with your serve? And so we've tried to involve experts in physiotherapies on how, you know, common injuries that girls are dealing with. These are things that are not typically taught at tennis conferences. It's more about your serve or how do you run a group lesson? Well, how do you communicate with someone? How do you make them feel confident when it, they're getting bullied at school, especially with social media? You know, this is a difficult age for kids. I'm 36, but I wouldn't have wanted to grow up with social media. So I think it's very new and coaches have to become very aware on what kids are, are dealing with and try to pump them up. They're already dealing with enough wrath at school and, and in life. Yeah, well, one of the things that I love about the WTCA is that you're educating culture in a very relevant way. And I think many of the tennis community organizations are a little bit behind in that way. So it's, uh, it feels progressive to me, which I love. And it's not progressive because of gender. It's progressive because you're relevant. You're actually right. relevant to culture, the culture of tennis that is actually happening right now. And it, it's so freeing to know that high school students, community coaches, they don't have to buy into the old system. Yeah. Just like they don't have to teach a very long form forehand. <laughs> they can let that yeah, go. That's for sure. And adopt a modern forehand. Well, why not adopt modern tennis culture? Because that's who we really are right now. I think it comes from leadership. It does come from leadership. You have to look at, you know, you need a visionary leader. Yeah. And that's and, what makes change. And if you've got somebody who wants to do everything the way that it was always done and play safe, I, I've never really played anything safe in my whole life. Sometimes our board will say, come on, reel it in a little bit. And I'll say, I want to be <laughs> who I am. I'm not, I want to be authentic. That's my, I'm not, a, I'm not very good at playing politics. I, I say what I think. I think we've become over politically correct. That's my opinion. Don't know if the board's going to roast me on that one either. I agree. But 
that's one of the things that's handcuffing us from progress is because people are afraid and they, and they just want to stick to their old school methods. It, it just comes to leadership and it has to come. You can have the same leader who's not really a visionary, but they're visionary enough to bring on people who are visionaries. They're collaborative and collaborative leadership is what's essential. And also ethical and moral leadership. It's not just about making more money yourself. It's about community-based. You have to want to build this as, as a community where everyone's successful. Some, sometimes with the tennis leadership, it's about that person gets to the top and forgets all of the people that were there along the way. It's just not going to work. It's not going to boost it. We're an individual sport, so we come from individual way of being growing up, and team sports, they get how to work as a team. So I think sometimes the, the leadership in tennis is not collaborative enough, and they, and they don't... Uh, seek out visionaries to advance the sport. Yeah. Tell us why you love tennis. Why are you in the game? That's a really good question. Why, why do I love tennis? Where did it come from? You know, I like tennis. I don't love tennis. Ah. I like tennis. I love the side of tennis that allows me to help people have better lives. So people who are completely crazy in love with tennis and the strings and equipment I typically find that they're really interested in making players as tennis players as better people I would be I don't know I would work in social work or things like that because I want to enrich people's lives I want to help people have a have a better life so I use tennis as a vehicle for change equality is something that's really important to me women's rights everything anything based on civil rights you know basic civil rights that everybody should be afforded the same opportunities in life that's why I'm in why I am in tennis so I use tennis as a vehicle for change equality is something that's really important to me women's rights everything anything based on civil rights you know basic civil rights that everybody should be afforded the same opportunities in life that's why I'm in why I am in tennis I see the game technically really really well so I have a very good eye so it makes it pretty easy for me to be successful in my career but when I look at tennis I don't look at tennis for tennis I look at if I can help that girl or guy have a better forehand and they love the competitive part of tennis then I've been successful so I think I might love tennis more if I didn't have the experience that I had growing up in tennis with some of the coaches who didn't ever get to understand me as a person and that girls shouldn't ask questions, shouldn't be loud and all of those sorts of things that we face. So I, love, uh, that's, uh, I, I don't absolutely love tennis. I like it. I think it's a great sport. It's a great sport of life. And I think when you've lived in my shoes and I've talked to a lot of my friends who have had similar experiences then I'm able to be a great advocate for change in tennis because I know why there's certain areas that I, I can't sit and say I absolutely am in love with tennis. But it's a great sport. I've made so many friends. I've had incredible life. I've seen the whole world. And, and that's some of the reasons that I really enjoy tennis. Well, that's a great challenge for us to make tennis a better sport for women yeah. and their experience. And, and of course, then maybe they would love it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that experience isn't, is a mixed bag right now. I think it's a mixed bag for lots of people in sports because of, there's so many, so many factors. There's, there's, there's cheating in junior tennis. That's yeah. one of the reasons why girls don't like playing tennis, and I'm sure boys too. There's parents that are really, really trying to help. And, and every player that's been successful had a, has had a driving parent. But the number of players that haven't been successful, it's a very fine line between pushing and, and then breaking. So I think Frank Giampolo with his parent education, trying to help parents understand that the first question that they should ask was, did you have a good time at tennis? The question is always, did you win? The car ride home is one of the worst experiences for kids ever and my dad was a coach and one of the best coaches in the world and I had the same car ride home experience and it's just the doors are closed you're locked in and it the temp you know everyone's emotions are running hot the kids disappointed their loss the parents are so invested that they react uh, with emotion so I think by adhering to these basic principles of you know not talking about the match for an hour you're not the coach 
Don't, you know, quiz the coach. What about this on the forehand? I saw this on YouTube. Let the coach coach be a parent. These sorts of things, I think that there needs to be more and more and more education. And also coaches, how do they deal with parents? There's so many more things that we can include in tennis, which makes it really exciting because it grows the industry. So, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of what I think about this sport. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like you're speaking from such depth and experience, and I feel like we can learn a lot from you. So how do people stay in touch with you? Where can they connect? Uh, well, they can always find where I am on the WTCA Facebook Everything that we have, our social handle is at WTCA Tennis. You can find us all across the social media platforms. They can find, I have a website myself, sarahstonetennis.com, or they can hit me up on the email, sarah at WTCATennis.org. Um, I'm here, I'll listen. They can come to the events. I spend a lot of time with people, I sit down with them. I'm not in and out. Like it's just, they become part of my life, and, and, I, and that's not going to change. I have a little bit less time now because. I have more and more and more people asking me things. I'm sure. But at, at some point, I, I always try to connect personally with people as much as I possibly can and that I care. So share it with the team and we'll work on it. And I, and I invite everybody to be part of our community and, and look forward to seeing anyone who, who comes along. So we definitely are going to encourage people to sign up, to do the $99 to become a member. Uh, what does the WTCA need besides joining the community financially? Nonprofits are tough, I think. I think I hear this from everybody who's involved in nonprofits because you're constantly driving people to see value in what you're doing. I think obviously becoming increasing the membership, which has been pretty rapid actually. We've had rapid growth since New York. I mean, that's really, we had Justine Hennon speak in, in Paris, which really made people believe in the brand, I think. You know, they, they thought it was legit, let's say. <laughs> She I has think, a lot of credibility. That's yeah. True. I think having great partners like Tennis Pal App in New York and any companies that want to get involved and if they share the same vision, definitely get in touch. We we have some great partners, but anyone that's like minded in our lane, I think cross promotions are a really good way to go. Yeah. That's that's community based as well. When you try to go it alone, it's everybody outside of the big federations that have all that money if they could collaborate a little bit more i think everyone would be more successful so anyone who's on board to collaborate let's get talking and see what we can do together well i'm thinking there's a lot of people at the community level like myself so uh, how does someone bring the information and the message of the wtca to the community level I think if they're asking the same the, that question, then they're already inclined to want to do it. Yeah. So I think it's just a little bit of educating themselves, go through the baseline level course, and have a better understanding on you know what we're trying to share as far as how do you work well with female players, and be an advocate for women's tennis. That's that's the number one thing. It's tennis is one of the biggest sports in the world, and definitely engage your female clients. I think that I believe Tim said that tennis audience is majority female just slightly but more women watch so wouldn't it be the right idea to really engage your female clients and, and get on the same page and encourage them and that's going to grow your business they're watching the sport they're interested in the sport but create an environment that's that women want to be a part of that's great yeah. Well, I've learned so much in this time. I feel like it was really engaging. Oh, wow. So much <laughs> came out of your mind, and I want to continue to ask you more. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me on. I can't wait to come back. Yeah. So, Philip, did I tell you what I did what two did weeks do? ago? What did you do, Val? Well, you might fall out of your chair, but I played tennis twice. Whoa! Yes, in one week. It's, it's a miracle. Um, I'm slowly getting unlazy. You're I turned lazy. I turned the ATP and WTA uh, tennis channel off of my TV and went out and grabbed my racket and went and played. Wow. But the only reason I did this is thanks to Tennis Pal. The app, this lovely girl, <sighs> messaged Yay. me and said, hey, you want to play a game? So I went out and I met up and it was great fun. We had a great match. Best of all, not just the tennis. She brought her puppy with her. What? And it was amazing. So I got to play with the puppy and play tennis. Bonus. Yes. And I got my butt kicked pretty bad. <laughs> uh, Ouch. But it was it's okay because I ran around. We had a lot of fun and uh, it, it was great. And my favorite thing is that we actually 
we were, even though she did <laughs> kick my butt pretty bad, uh, <laughs> we were way more evenly matched than the scoreline as far as, you know, um, but that's thanks to the app. You know, it helps you find someone within your same level of play and ability. Yeah. And so, um, you know, my, obviously the fact that I don't play makes me really inconsistent. So those important points like advantage, not me, I am losing constantly. So, uh, but I still had a blast and, um, it's only thanks to tennis pal that, you know, they, they gave me that hour and a half, two hour exercise that I wouldn't have gotten without it. That's great. I love the Tennis Pal app, and I think it's so great that we have an app that allows us to reach out to someone and say, hey, let's play a match. There are so many times when I'm sitting at home thinking, gosh, I wish I could squeeze in you know, a match here or there, and I'm looking for more people to play with. So I think tennis, the Tennis Pal app is great for that. It's perfect. I'm, I'm personally really enjoying it. It's my favorite tennis app. Well, we appreciate them sponsoring this podcast, so we encourage you to go to your favorite app store, whether it's on the iTunes store or the Android market, and download Tennis Pal app. And you can get all the information by going to TennisPalApp.com and download it there as well. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Val, wasn't that a fantastic interview with Sarah Stone? It really was great. I loved hearing everything she had to say. It's just... Uh, it's something that I had never thought about until I listened to this interview. And now it's on the forefront of my mind. And that's the first step of change is realization, right? And I think that the WTCA is bringing realization to the spirit of tennis and something that we all need to be thinking of, being mindful of. Couldn't agree more. Thank you, Sarah, for what you do. Also, just uh, to echo Sarah's sentiments, you know, she did say thank you to you because we do need the men like you who are open and willing to kind of have their mind open to the different needs for women tennis players. Thanks, Valerie. I appreciate that. I really feel like what she said is true, that if we don't embrace both sides, that we're going to lose the game of tennis. And I love the game of tennis with all my heart, and I want it to grow, and I think we need each other to do that. Well, that's our show, Val, for this episode. Thanks so much for being my co-host and enjoying this conversation with Sarah Stone. Thanks for having me. You can access the show notes about this, find out more about Sarah Stone and the WTCA, and discover some of our fantastic bonus content on our blog. In our next episode, we'll be discussing how to get a scholarship for college tennis. So you want to stay tuned for that. I'm 15 years too late on that one. <laughs> Dang. Well, I think we need more young players in the game of tennis. So let's get kids playing tennis and let's get them into college tennis. Yes, couldn't agree more. Let's give a big shout out to our sponsor, Tennis Pal. Go download their free tennis app today and find people to play tennis with in your area. You can visit TennisPalApp.com. Thanks for listening, guys. We'd really appreciate it if you rated it on the iTunes store as well. We'd love to get feedback and also teach other people that this is a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. May all your serves be aces. <laughs>